Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. We are continuing in the book of Philippians. And you remember the last time in the Bible study that we actually covered one verse in the book. So today we're hoping to get a little bit further. And you'll remember that the reason we covered the one verse was we looked at some background first. And we looked at how the church in Philippi was actually founded, and we found that in in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And we saw that it was the first church that was founded in Europe. So the gospel left Judah and went into Europe, and that was through the bidding of the Holy Spirit, that Paul actually wanted to continue in Asia, but the Spirit prevented him and sent him to Macedonia, And when he arrived in Macedonia, it was a woman that the Spirit worked in first. And so the church in Philippi was actually founded through Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman. And we see there that the gospel accommodates different cultures. Macedonian women were very different than Jewish women. And they were treated very differently. And yet when the gospel left Judah and went into Macedonia, we see that it accommodated this different culture. And I think it's important for us, just as an aside, we're not trying to be Jewish. The laws that God gave to Israel, the covenant that he made with Israel, that covenant is now open to all nations. And we are coming into that covenant, but that's very different from the Jewish culture. So Israel was made up of 12 tribes. The southern kingdom was made up of Levi, Benjamin, and Judah. They remained faithful, quote-unquote. The nine tribes to the north were completely unfaithful. They were destroyed and scattered. And we say they're lost. They're lost, and we say ten tribes because Joseph was split in two. So that was a different culture. The northern Israelites had a different culture from the southern, the the, the Jewish uh, brethren in in the south. So we have to separate and I'm just kind of harping on this because I'm seeing a trend in the church of trying to be Jewish. And I think the whole, what's that movement called? Messianic Judaism. Okay, just again as an aside. I think Messianic Judaism is great for Jews because there are Jews that are beginning to recognize Christ as their Savior, and when they come into Christianity, the culture is a shock to them. They they don't understand it. And so the whole movement or the thinking of Messianic Judaism was, can we as Jews hold on to our culture and still recognize Christ? And I think that's great for Jews. But for us in the Church of God to be following Messianic Jews, when we have the truth of the Scripture, it, it doesn't make sense to me. So we're not trying to be Jewish. I chose the book of Philippians, remember, as our first Bible study topic because it was a congregation that in many respects was a model congregation. The the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with the Philippians was very different from the relationship that he had with other congregations. And we looked at, for example, the relationship that he had with the brethren in Corinth bit of a difficult relationship there, and also Galatia as examples. So we saw, looked at those as the backdrop to the relationship that he had with Philippians, where 
he praised them. He called them his crown and his joy. But even though they were a model congregation, we saw that they still had problems. And I highlighted that to say, I think we have a tremendous opportunity, let me change that, and say a tremendous responsibility to be a model congregation. That this is quite amazing, even though we're a small flock, um, how quickly it has come to be. And how God has provided everything for us right here. I just mentioned in the opening how we have special music every week. That's unheard of for a startup congregation to have that much talent in the congregation that we could have special music every week. And so God has given us everything we need. And he says, to whom much is given, what's the rest? Much is required. So I think there's a lot of expectation that God has of us, that he has given us a lot. So here we are, he has expectations of us. And I think that expectation is for us to be a model congregation. We can't be perfect, but we should be an example. Brethren should be able to come here or hear hear what we're doing here and say, we need to be more like that. And it's not to say we're better, no. Just that we have the responsibility with everything God has given us to be that model congregation. We did see in Philippi that even though in many respects they were a model congregation and there's not a word of doctrine in the book. The Apostle Paul is is a a theologian and he specializes in clarifying doctrine. And to the letter to the saints in Philippi, there's no mention of doctrine. So he wasn't concerned about them getting uh, misguided in their doctrine. In fact, he, he warned them to be careful about the Judaizers. We saw that in chapter 3. But he doesn't correct any doctrinal issues. They're sound doctrinally. What he does correct is disunity. And we saw uh, Yodia and Syntyche, leading women in the church, were not getting along with each other. And it was creating disunity in the body. And so he pleaded with them individually, and he pleaded with the church to help them to get along with each other. And I pointed that out to say, we are committed to sound doctrine. We are committed to being building a model congregation. But the risk we are under, very, very serious risk, where Satan can destroy us, is disunity. And so we have to have a mind right at the outset as we lay the foundation. You know, if you're watching a construction site, you'll see the site, and it looks like it's taking forever. And they're just building the foundation, and it's taking so long. And once they finish the foundation, boom, the building goes up. Building the building is quick. It's laying the foundation that takes time. And we are the foundational congregation for Burlington. This is it. This is whom God in his design has put together to lay the foundation. So we want to take time. We want to take time and and build a healthy culture that when it's set, it's set. It'll be very difficult then to change. And we see here with Philippi, the risk is disunity. The risk is how we treat one another. And Pastor Murray was here last week. And he gave a remarkable sermon where he searched the scriptures, the New Testament, for all the instructions 
all the imperatives on how we ought to treat one another. I don't know if we will hear a more important sermon for the rest of this year. If we do nothing else except digest that sermon, not intellectually, but how we live. If we do nothing else but digest that sermon and live it, that is Christianity. That is Christianity. Christianity is not reading the Bible and then being able to say, I know something you don't know. Christianity is reading the Bible, digesting it, and living differently. And so what we've done in our roadmap, we have taken all of the imperatives, all of the instructions that Pastor Murray covered last week on how we ought to treat one another, and we've put that on the back of our roadmap, and we've laminated it. So we're asking you all, every household, Please take a copy home, and please review that often, because it's not about what we know. It's about what we do, and it's not easy. Let's begin. Uh, for the sermon, I want to cover the scriptures that Andrew was up here reading, for the scripture reading. Those scriptures, that passage, Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, is actually a hymn. Welcome, welcome. Ephesians, sorry, uh, Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, the Apostle Paul is quoting a hymn. It's called the Christ Hymn. And so it would be like us today, we were singing the hymns, and we're making a fundamental mistake in the way we treat one another. And it would be like uh, Pastor Murray writing to us. He's, let's say he's traveling. And he's writing to us to correct a significant problem in the congregation. And he quotes the very hymn we sing every week. So we're singing, let's say, Standing on the Promises. And we sing that every week. But we don't understand what we're singing. And so... Pastor Murray writes to us and says, you know, you sing this hymn every week. This is what it means. If you're going to sing Standing on the Promises, this is what it means. And so they sing this hymn. Verses 6 to 11 was a hymn that they sang. And the Apostle Paul builds the letter to the, to the Philippians around this hymn. The entire chapter 1 and, and part of chapter 2 lead into the hymn. And the rest of chapter 2, 3, and 4 lead out of the hymn. So the hymn, verses 6 to 11 is the central piece of the book of Philippians. And so we want to look at that today. I want to start in chapter 1 and verse 27, just to give it context. And then for the Bible study, we will go back to chapter 1 and pick it up in verse 2. But for the sermon today, I want to begin in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, with a focus on the, the Christ hymn in chapter 2. Okay, verse 27. The Apostle Paul writes, Whatever happens, so he's uncertain what's going to happen. He could be killed. He could remain incarcerated. He might be set free. He doesn't know. Whatever happens, you Philippians conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
So we have, we have the gospel. We must live according to the gospel. It's not just head knowledge. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. There's one spirit, and we must stand firm in that spirit, striving together as one. This is what the apostle wants for this model congregation. Work together, strive together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There are always opponents. There are always opponents. We must be together as one. We're not worried about them. We will stand firm in this truth. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So this is, this is God's grace. So it's by God's grace that we can understand this scripture and we can believe in it. And it's by his grace that we're willing to suffer for it. I had mentioned the last time that Christianity is not, oh, I accept the Lord, let's go skipping. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, wow, I understand what God is doing and I will give my life to this. So suffering, that's a walk in the park. I'm, I'm happy to suffer for Christ's sake. And I'll even die for Christ's sake. That's what Christianity is. That we, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. And so suffering is an essential part of Christianity. And in that suffering, even, I should say, even in that suffering, there is joy. This is a deep, deep joy. It's not superficial. And we can actually have joy while we suffer because of what God is doing with us. So it's been granted to us on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had. So Paul has been struggling with these opponents, mostly Judaizers and the Romans. And he's saying to, to Philippi, the Philippians, you're having the same struggle. And you hear, and now hear that I still have. Now we come into chapter 2. Therefore, so I, I, I needed to read that part of chapter 1 because of the word therefore. So whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself what it's there for. So, so therefore, because of these things, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so, so here we are united with Christ, are we encouraged by that? If so, and if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Paul has joy over this congregation. It's a wonderful congregation. And he's saying, look, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, if there's any comfort in His love, any common sharing in His Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then please, 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 Make my joy complete. It's not complete. He has joy over the congregation, but it's an incomplete joy. And he's pleading with them now, if they have any understanding of what they're a part of, just go that extra mile to make his joy complete. And I would say, even though he's dead, these words are God's appeal to us here in Burlington. That if we understand what we're a part of, 
God is joyful over what is happening here. But let's make his joy complete. Let's go that extra effort. And it's, it's funny, sometimes with a big project, you'll see that to get to 90% completion, it can happen pretty quick. It's that last 10%, maybe even that last 5% that takes time. And many people just give up. They don't put the same amount of effort in the last 5 or 10% because it just takes so long. And so even though it seems like you know, the joy is almost full, just a little bit more, that little bit more can be the hardest. And in fact, as we see this, I think you'll see it, it is the hardest. So we need to make God's joy complete. How? By being like-minded. It's a mental thing. It's a spiritual thing. It happens in the mind. So the way that we can make God's joy complete happens here. To be like-minded, we, we, we have to have a similar mind. It's not to say that we're all going to be robots. We're all going to be clones. We can't think for ourselves. That's not the point. It's how we think. It's our attitude. We all need to have the same attitude. What we think is different. We might have different opinions about something. You know, you, Paul, you see something one way. I see it a completely different way. That's not the point. You know, eventually, I'll wake up and come back to Paul one day and say, you know, Paul, you were right. That's the point that we don't see things eye to eye. That's not the issue. The issue is, how do we treat one another? Are we at it like this? Or are we preferring one another? Well, Paul, help, help me understand why you see it this way. Oh, I see. Well, have you thought about this? Because this is the way I see it. And even though we are diametrically opposed, the way we treat one another, the respect, the love and care, that's what he means by being like-minded. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now notice this in verse 3. Do nothing absolutely nothing, no thing, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The reason there is conflict in the world and in God's church is because one party feels that their view or their rights are more important than the other party. That's why there's conflict. And the other party believes the same. And so somebody has to yield, and neither side is willing. And that happens in God's church. If we have this mind, if we all have this like mind, where nothing is done through selfish ambition or vainglory, everything is about how we can edify. There will be no conflict in the church. And Paul is writing to a model congregation that has conflict. This word selfish ambition it's the Greek word erethea and it means party spirit or faction it's the same word uh, just go back to Philippians 1 we'll just read this passage and you'll see the same word used Philippians 1 and verse 15 it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Can you believe this? They are preaching the gospel, and this is the true gospel, because in Philippians 3, 
he warns the Philippians about the false teachers. But here, they're, they're preaching the truth. They're preaching Christ. But the motive is envy. They're envious of the Apostle Paul. He's having all this success. And, and envy is stirring up in them. So they're going out to compete with him. And rivalry. But others, out of goodwill. So some are preaching out of goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. That's the same word, eretheia. So Christ is warning us, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. And yet we have preachers of the gospel standing up, preaching to the brethren out of selfish ambition. They want, they want glory. Look at me. I can speak. I know the Bible. Aren't I great? This is the motive. They're preaching the truth. But this is the motive. Unbelievable. They, they have brushed up against the truth. They are feeding God's people with the truth. But inside, selfish ambition. Crisis. Tragic. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Well, look at Paul's attitude. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Paul was uh, an optimist. He, he believed in God's outworking, that all things work together for good. So even when they put him in chains, he's like, this is great. The gospel is being preached in, in, in Caesar's palace. Right? Even if they kill him, he's like, that's great. I'll, I'll be with the Lord. So nothing discourages him. Every way he sees that whatever happens, it's for good. So here, he says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And this is where I'm saying that even here in chapter 1, as he's leading up to the Christ hymn, he is still, it, the focus is the Christ hymn. What is happening in the mind, what, what, what took place in the mind of Christ that's what he's uh, setting us up for here. That these people do not have... They're preaching Christ, but they don't have the mind of Christ. They have the mind of man. Or I'll go further and say they have the mind of the devil. But they're preaching Christ. And what he's saying to the Philippians now is, be careful. You can do good things for the wrong reason. And if that's the case, eventually it will come out. Eventually you're going to brush up against a brother or a sister... And because you have selfish ambition, or I have selfish ambition, we're going to have conflict. Because I'm doing good things, but I want recognition. And so now something happens, and my recognition is taken away from me, I'm going to react. So we, we really need to, to have this mind that Paul, Paul is looking at here. Let's go back to chapter 2. <clears throat> So there is nothing we see in chapter, in verse 3, nothing qualifies. There's no excuse that there's any, even if it's preaching the gospel, we can't even say, well, yeah, I might be selfish, but I'm, at least I'm preaching the gospel. No, nothing, nothing qualifies that can be done by selfish ambition or self-conceit. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. That's, this is, it's easy to read. This is really easy to read. Should I read it again? 
It's really easy. Let, let, me, let me read it again. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Should I read it again? It's really, really easy to read. This will take a lifetime to live. To get in this frame of mind where I'm not really concerned about my interests. I'm concerned about your interests. Even if it means that I have to give up my life. As long as your interests are served. Easy to say. Nice words. It sounds really good. To actually live that, this is what we're striving for. This is the foundation upon which we need to build. We don't know who God will add. But whoever he adds, he should be, feel safe that he can add it to a congregation that has this mind. That when people show up and come through this door, we're like, what are their interests? How can we look after them? How can we absorb them? Maybe they come in with uh, past problems. Maybe they have some idiosyncrasies. Maybe they've got some challenges. We're big enough. We can absorb it. We can, we can surround them with Christ's love. We can make them feel valued. Because we're doing this. It's not about us. Okay, yeah, they hurt my feelings. I don't like the way they look at me. I don't like the way they said that thing to me. Who do they think they are? Well, God brought them here. I was saying the other day that we can choose our friends. And, we can, and I talked to my kids when they were young. Choose your friends very carefully. And I say to all the young people, choose your friends carefully. And one of the things I said to my kids was, be sensitive to what people laugh at. What they laugh at shows you their true character. And so when you see people laughing at the misfortune of, of others, laughing at something that's crude, stay away from those people. We can choose our friends. We can't choose our family. Family is family. And every family, I think, has that kind of weird uncle or, or, or kind of strange cousin. We don't choose our family. And, and we didn't choose each other. And, and you know, I, I hope nobody's offended, but I wouldn't choose you as friends. And I, I really hope you're not offended. I, I would choose a completely different path. God took me out of that path and he's given us each other. And I am so grateful. I, am so, I wouldn't have chosen you as friends, but I'm so grateful for you. I love you all. And I hope that we can really build this family that God has made us a part of with gratitude. With gratitude. And whoever God adds, it's his design, not ours. So let's learn to look to the interest of others. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now we come into verse 6, which is the hymn. Before we look at hold your place here and quickly go to Acts 16. Verse 24, uh, speaking here of Paul's imprisonment, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and notice this, 
and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So the Apostle Paul and Silas and the brethren here, they sang hymns. And verses 6 to 11, let's go back to Philippians 2, is a hymn that Paul is quoting. There's a bit of controversy about who wrote the hymn. Some say it was the Apostle Paul, others say no, it wasn't him. I don't think it matters. I, I personally believe it was the Apostle Paul creating these, these new, very talented man, creating these new hymns. But let's look at this hymn now, verses 6 to 11. Who being in the very nature God, hus huparko on morphe theos, the very nature of God, this is who Christ was. He had the very nature of God. That's who he was. That was his being. He was God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Selfish ambition. This is the exact opposite mindset. So again, everything centers around this hymn. So Christ was in the very nature God. But he didn't think that that was something to be grasped onto for his own advantage. The word advantage here, or uh, in the King James, what does it say? Uh, robbery with God, I think, yes. This is the Greek word harpagmos, harpagmos. And it means eager seizure, eager seizure. So he didn't see his status in the God family, in the Godhead, as something to eagerly seize. He willingly gave it up. Let's contrast this in Isaiah 14. Hold your place in Philippians 2. We're going to come back. Isaiah 14, and we'll begin in verse 13. Speaking of Lucifer, who became Satan, you said in your heart... In the, in the very center of your being. I will ascend to the heavens. Here we have the epitome of selfish ambition. I, me, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Me, I will do this. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself just like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So here we see a being that was spectacular, that had selfish ambition, that said, I'm, I'm going to be the Most High. I like it up there. I like that. I want that. I want that glory. And I'm going to eagerly seize it. Harpagmas. I'm going to eagerly seize it. Here we have Christ, on the other hand, who has it and doesn't see it as something to eagerly seize because he wants all of us to share it. So he willingly gives it up so that we can participate in it. The exact opposite mindset. Back to Philippians 2. So instead of Harpagmus, this eager seizure, rather, he made himself nothing. 
by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This is a hymn that they sang, I won't say every week, but they sang this hymn. And Paul is now breaking it down for them to say, think about what this means. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave being made in human likeness. So we would look at him and he would just look like a guy. You know, if you were walking down the street, you wouldn't look twice. It's just another man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the mindset that builds unity. That if we have this mindset of humbling ourselves, unlike Satan, who wants to promote himself, aggrandize himself. Verse 9. Therefore, because of this, notice this, God exalted him. Satan is trying to exalt himself and he's struck down. Christ abases himself and that's it. He doesn't exalt himself at all. Because he humbles himself, God exalts him. God is the one that exalts him. Where does God exalt him? To the highest place. Jesus Christ is exalted to the highest place. Not of his own doing. He humbled him. He voluntarily humbled himself. And the Father exalted him to the highest place. And this is the hymn. And gave him the name, notice this, that is above every name. The name of Jesus Christ is above every name by order of God the Father. That, the name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every single knee will worship Jesus. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when every tongue acknowledges that Christ is Lord, what is that to the Father? To the glory of God the Father. God rejoices when men acknowledge that Christ is Lord. This word Lord is curious in the Greek. This part of the hymn is quoting Isaiah 45. Hold your place here. Let's quickly go to Isaiah 45. Verse 18. For this is what Yahweh says. This is what Yahweh says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no other God. Verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word, that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. This scripture in Philippians 2 is 
Hearkening back to Isaiah 45, the word Lord in Isaiah 45 is Yahweh. So if we were reading this in Hebrew, it would be Yahweh. But the Greeks, the Jews at this time were Greek. They spoke Greek. And so they read the Septuagint. And so the hymn is actually quoting now the Septuagint. The word for Yahweh in the Septuagint is curious. So if we go back to Philippians 2, where it says in verse 11, every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is curious. If we were to read this in Hebrew, it's saying every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. This is amazing. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He gave up the Godhead and came to earth and humbled himself. And God has exalted him highly. And we are to praise him. We are to praise him. And when we praise him, it is to the glory of God the Father. God is glorified when we praise Christ. And every tongue will acknowledge that he is Yahweh. Quickly, James 4, having this mind of Christ, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the, mi- this is the mind of Christ. I'm not going to puff myself up over you. you know, how, how dare you disagree with me? No. I've got to learn to humble myself. And if there's any exaltation, let God be the one to do the exalting, just as Christ did. Christ humbled himself, and God has exalted him to the highest place. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister, or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So we have to have this mindset, brethren, where we do not slander one another, we do not judge one another, we edify one another. We think what's best for one another. We give each other the benefit of the doubt, and we forbear one another. You know, there's a a riddle, I'll ask the kids if you can figure this out, where there's a, a mountain and a very, very narrow path going around the mountain. And these two goats are going on the path. And they, find, and they come, one's going one way, one's going the other way. And they face each other. And they realize that they can't back up or they'll fall off the, the, the mountain. And they can't go around each other or they'll fall off the mountain. What can they do? What's the answer? Fight. <laughs> one of them has to lie down and let the other step over it. And that's, that's a perfect analogy to our walk. We are going to have... Con- Newsflash, the Burlington congregation is going to have conflict. I hope that doesn't surprise us. We all think differently. We all come from different walks of life. We're going to have conflict. Let us have the mind of Christ. Let us be the first one to lie down and let the other step over us. And God will exalt us in due time. All we want is what's best for our brother. This walk we're on, God forbid 
that we stand before the judgment seat of God and Christ. And he asks us, why did you destroy your brother? Why did you put a stumbling block in front of your brother? This, this was my plan for your brother. And look how you've destroyed him. God forbid. Matthew 18. Just for the interest of time, verses 21 to 35, I'll just paraphrase. You're familiar of the um, servant who owes his master uh, all this money. God precedes this by saying, how many times must I forgive my brother? Not seven times, but 70 times seven. And uh, the kingdom of God is like the servant that owes a great debt. He's forgiven the debt, and he finds somebody who owes him like nothing. And he basically grabs him by the throat saying, you'll pay me, you'll pay me. And God's like, whoa, unacceptable. We have to realize how much we have been forgiven and just willingly forgive others because we owe so much to God that there's nothing that you can do to me that I'm going to hold you to account because if I have to share with you what I've been forgiven of, it'll be embarrassing. So we quickly forgive one another. And in verse uh, 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So we need to be very, very careful, brethren. We've set a goal here, or one of our, one of our goals, to provide a place where every believer feels safe and valued. If you believe Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, if you've been called by God and you come into this congregation, you feel safe. You feel valued. Or another goal we have, to become a model Christian community. Our values, unity and peace, humility and forbearance. We have to live this, brethren, as we lay this foundation for the church. Let's go back to Philippians. Philippians 2. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I've read this scripture since I came into the church. It's a wonderful scripture. It's one of those memory verses. I'm only now beginning to understand it. Only now, doing this study. The problem that I had is I have grown up in an individualistic society. It's, you know, since the 60s, the West has all been about me, the individual. All of us have to uh, self-realization and self-actualization, and it's all about the individual. And so I bring this individualistic thinking into this scripture. And that doesn't wash. Paul, we saw in chapter 1, the one verse that we covered in the Bible study, was writing to the congregation. He was writing to the collective, to all the saints in Philippi, with the elders and the deacons. But he was addressing the body. Here, therefore, my dear friends, plural, 
he is again addressing the body. He's not saying to the body, the way I used to interpret it, Adrian, look out for number one and work out your salvation. And hopefully everybody else is doing the same thing. He's talking to the community. And he's saying, as a community, work together to fulfill God's purpose. Work out your salvation together. The the most difficult part in doing this is when human minds come together, there's conflict. So it's going to take work. It's going to take effort to humble yourself. But do that, because that's God's purpose. God is building a team that can work together. Minds working with minds. Therefore, my dear friends, so plural... And look at verse 27 again. We were there earlier. Whatever happens, conduct yourself... In chapter 1, sorry. In a, worthy, in a manner worthy of the gospel, then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one. It's the same thing he's saying. You've got to have this mind of Christ so that there can be true unity so that you can work as one. And if there's conflict, work out your salvation. Look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Brother Jan, how much time do I have? Okay. Galatians 5. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So we are free. But let's not use our freedom to indulge the flesh, the selfish ambition. Serve one another. One of those verses that Pastor Murray pointed out to us. Serve one another humbly in love. So we're free, but let's use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, watch this, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. So we just have to keep one command to fulfill the entire law. Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So here we are, God God packs us in tightly together. The human mind has its own quirks. And so we've got all these quirky human minds with a deposit of the Spirit. And we're packed in tightly together. And he's saying, be careful. Because the flesh wants to promote itself. And the flesh will devour others for itself. My ego matters, and I will put you down to feed my ego. Be careful. Because if we come in with this carnal nature, we are going to destroy each other. Work out your salvation. He's talking to the collective. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Because if you put a stumbling block in front of a child of God and cause that child to fail, you fail too. You've destroyed each other. There's no way that I can put a stumbling block in front of you and destroy you and say, let me in, God, here I am, because I'm the important one. doesn't work. 
The whole law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that in John when he says, if you say, I'm going to up here, God, I, I love God so much. It's people I can't stand. Right? God says, I'm a liar. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. So the whole commandment is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you demonstrate that you have that agape love. Okay, let's, let's wind up. Let's go back to Philippians 2. And we'll conclude with this, the last little bit here. Verse 14. Again, these are really easy words to read. Completely different matter when it comes to living them. But th- I think this is what we want to commit to. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Let's not argue. Let's, um, Stephen Covey, I don't know if you've heard of him, big famous guy, died, died recently, did a lot of good for business, in business. But he had this saying, which is really remarkable. He would say, seek first to understand, and then to be understood. Human nature is, you've got to understand my point of view. We've got to change and say, help me understand your point of view. Okay, is this what you're saying? I see, okay. Have you considered this? Because this is how I see it. This is how we have to learn to interact with each other. Do everything without grumbling. So nothing from selfish ambition. Everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast. So he says, make my joy complete, because now I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, so even if I'm going to die, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. This is what Paul wants, to see the fruit in in the Philippians. (laughs) So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's conclude in Philippians 4. Again, thinking of the Christ hymn, this hymn that they would sing about the mind of Christ, that he was in the Godhead and left it, became a man, became a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, and even then didn't exalt. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down, and I can take it up again. But he didn't exalt himself. He laid it down. And God the Father exalted him to the highest place and says every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess that he is Yahweh. So we must have this mind. We're not about... The the concept of promoting the self comes from the devil. And it's embedded in our flesh. We have to root it out. We have to be committed that this community, this family edifies one another. We're all about helping each other. And we want the joy on the day of judgment that, wow, I actually helped these brethren gain that reward. They're actually higher than me in the kingdom, and that gives me joy. The same way that the Father is not jealous of the Son. When people praise the Son, when they glorify the Son, when they exalt the Son, it is to the glory. There's nothing you can do to praise Christ where God is going to say, I think he's getting too much praise. That when you praise Christ, it's to his glory. Because he did. He's the one that exalted him to the highest place. And we have to have this mind that we will put ourselves down to exalt our brethren. Now, we're in this collective. We're in this community. 
And Paul, the Apostle, is saying, work out your own salvation, not individual. It's not that I want to be saved and who cares what happens to you. Work out our, the collective, the saints together. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I am so afraid, should I offend any of you, because God will not tolerate it. So we've we've got to work it out. We're all different. We all have different personalities, different perspectives. We've got to work it out together. Now, Philippians 4, verse 1. We'll conclude here. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. You're my joy and crown. I'm so proud of you. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I'm pleading with Yodia and I'm pleading with Syntyche. Please, please, please stop this. You are both leading women. Your names are written in the book of life. I'm begging you, please stop it. Put on the mind that you saw, that you're singing in the hymn, the mind of Christ. If you're one of the goats, lie down. Let the other goat pass over. I'm pleading with each of you individually to be of the same mind, that mind that's in the Lord. Yes, and I'm asking you, the collective, my true companion, work out your salvation. And I don't mean your individual salvation. I mean as a collective, let us work out our salvation. So when you see conflict in the church, don't ignore it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You should be afraid that these women cannot get along. And their names are in the book of life. That they're biting and devouring each other and destroying each other. Please intervene and protect the collective. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Having our names in the book of life does not make us immune to conflict. In fact, it's because we love the Lord so much that we're going to stand up for what we think is right. And someone else has uh, another perspective, but they love the Lord too. And they're going to stand up for what is right. And suddenly you have people who love God hating each other. Does this make sense? It's, It's ludicrous. And the reason is we haven't put on the mind of Christ. When we put on the mind of Christ, we abase ourselves. We humble ourselves. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We have this special privilege of being the foundation of this congregation. The Lord is near. Let's put on the mind of Christ and let's rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. This podcast was brought to you by the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more, visit us on the web at cgiburlington.org.